Gabby Mara, and I am part of the team here at Wheaton Bible Church. It is a joy for me to welcome you this morning. I just have two announcements for you today. We are launching a new seminar series entitled Kingdom Conversations, where we will delve into important topics together as a church family and learn how scripture helps us engage with them. This year's focus is parenting. Whether you're a new or seasoned parent, grandparent, or perhaps someone playing a parenting role, we want to come alongside you in your biblical calling. Join us on Friday evening, March 10th, through Saturday morning, March 11th, as our team of pastors and staff lead sessions and workshops focused on shepherding our kids' hearts in today's changing culture. Cost is $25 per person, and paid childcare will be available to sign up for when you register. Check out wheatonbible.org slash parentseminar for more information. Registration is required. Finally, on Friday, March 3rd, we will kick off our seniors ministry year with our second annual Hidden Treasure Evening. This year's Hidden Treasure is the Marion E. Wade Center at Wheaton College, where the friendship of C.S. Lewis and Dorothy Sayers is remembered. Doctors David and Crystal Downing are co-directors of the Wade Center and will be presenting the story of these two influential figures. Register at wheatonbible.org slash seniorsministry or in person at your adult community or the welcome desk. Registration closes soon, so make sure to sign up today. Thanks for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Good morning, church. This is a special morning as we have 13 of our very own students playing with us to this morning with the adult orchestra. They're, they're, this is how we train them up, so let's give them a hand. Yeah. It's wonderful to have them. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. As the orchestra played, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Let's stand together and sing.
You may be seated. In the Great Commission, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here at Wheaton Bible Church, we believe in the baptism of believers. That is, those who have believed the good news of the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. We also believe that according to the scriptures, baptism does not save, nor does it contribute in any way to our salvation. However, it's an act of joyful obedience to the Lord as an outward sign of our spiritual regeneration or our new birth. It symbolizes our death to our old life and our resurrection into our new life in Christ. This morning, this, uh, nine people are getting baptized throughout our various services, and even though we don't have any this mor- at this service, we have a video of all of their testimonies so we can celebrate with them all. Hi, I'm Paige. I'm going to get baptized today because I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to save us from our sins. And I want to become a disciple of God so I can tell other people who he is and what he's done for us so they can become a believer of Jesus just like I am. My name is Landon, and I'm here to get baptized today to testify that Jesus is my Savior and that he has taken my sins upon himself and forgiven me. My name is Ben Matthews, and I want to get baptized because I believe that God came to save me, and I want to take that next step in my relationship with him. Hola, mi nombre es Monse Avila, y quiero compartir hoy con todos ustedes la emoción y felicidad que me da de dar este paso de obediencia reconociendo a Cristo como mi Rey y Salvador. Mi nombre es Freddy Groba Salas y quiero compartir con todos ustedes la emoción de bautizarme el día de hoy para poder vivir eternamente al lado de mi Señor Jesús, mi Salvador. Mi nombre es Aire Quispe Gallegos y estoy muy feliz de compartir con ustedes mi bautismo. Sé que Jesús es mi Salvador, mi Señor, Él es mi refugio y quiero vivir para Dios. My name is Timothy and I'd like to be baptized because Jesus has called me to do it. I'm Ellen and I want to get baptized today to tell the world that the Lord is my Savior and that He died on the cross to save me from our sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Praise the Lord. In light of baptisms, we've chosen some special songs to sing this Sunday, and as we were preparing, my daughter said to me, what is it, Sing Songs About Heaven Sunday? I said, yes, it is. It's Sing Songs About Heaven Sunday. So this next choral anthem celebrates that if we are in Christ, we are headed for heaven. You're welcome to join in after the song gets going.
We want to teach you a new song that also celebrates our citizenship in heaven. This one is soon to be a favorite. We're sure my kids are so sick of it because I play it every day in the house. Uh, let's stand and learn this song together. It's called Almost Home. you to pass the peace to each other this morning. Grace, grace and peace to be of the Lord be with you.
Good morning, familia. My name is good morning. My name is Carlos Ludeña, and I serve as one of the pastors with Iglesia del Pueblo, as well as part of the missions and outreach team. Uh, at this time, I'd like to call the ushers to the front. You know, giving is a part of our worship service. Uh, we worship the Lord through singing. We celebrate the Lord through baptisms. We worship the Lord through scripture reading. But we also worship the Lord through giving back to what he has provided for us. Ushers, you may now pass the plates. Today, we have two of our amazing and faithful missionaries here in person. We have the privilege of supporting Greg and Debbie Nichols for more than 30 years uh, as they serve with Greater Europe Mission in the Czech Republic, as well as spending some time living in Odessa, Ukraine. So let's welcome Greg and Debbie Nichols. Thank you. Yes. Soon after the fall of the Soviet Union, Wheaton Bible Church sent Debbie and I to Odessa, Ukraine, where we helped start a seminary. About a decade after that, we moved to Prague to work at another seminary. And then five years ago, Debbie began working with refugees. Today, it's a, with mixed feelings that we're here because it marks one week after Putin's version, I'm sorry, one year after uh, Putin's version of Russia has invaded Ukraine. 13 million people are displaced, which is the uh, roughly the population of Illinois. Nine million of those people are outside of Ukraine, which is roughly the population of Chicago. But for such a time as this. When the war began, we asked God how he wanted us to join him. We recognized three needs in um, our Ukrainians' friends' lives the need of the healing of the body, mind, and the soul. So at first we rented two large Airbnbs where we could welcome and help our new Ukrainian friends figure out the next steps. One of the houses had a woman who was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer shortly after she arrived in Prague. Last fall, after several months of chemo, she passed away. It is a tragic story, of course, but her adult, her adult daughter began to read God's word for comfort. Greg and I were able to offer a memorial service for her mother, which was attended by all of the people in all of our houses that we were hosting. We shared the hope that we have in Christ with her daughter and the group who gathered to honor our new friend. One of the houses we are renting for Ukrainians, refugees, is filled with Christ followers who have had very little experience reaching out into their non-Christian communities in the Ukraine. As we presented the idea of helping their people with some creative outreaches, we found them to be very willing participants. So last summer, with the help of another missionary who is also an instructor for ballet, we offered a ballet camp. This resulted in weekly ballet lessons for Ukrainian girls. During the lessons, we gather with the moms and the grandmothers and we share about our week. It's become quite a community. Our team brings a weekly topic filled with gospel truth. And if you notice it's the picture up there, um, with the lady on the right hand, um, 
is it on the right-hand side? Yeah. Um, the, with the red hair, she's a 72-year-old woman who loves Jesus. She also loves apologetics. She's part of our team. She has brought topics such as, what does the Bible say about astrology and astronomy? We pray for these ladies that they will know Christ and that they will bring the redemptive message back to, to Ukraine once the war is over. I would like to also say, without the prayers and financial support of people like you here at Wheaton Bible Church, none of this would be possible. You have contributed to our ministry in Czech Republic in a significant way through last year's grant from the Ukrainian Special Offering. This has helped finance our outreaches. Not only have our hearts been encouraged, but the hearts of our friends in, in Prague have been encouraged, the Ukrainian friends. They feel that they have not been forgotten. So thank you. So as you think about praying for us, first of all, pray for an end to the war. Pray for your brothers and sisters on both sides in Ukraine and Russia. Secondly, we just also launched a Ukrainian youth group in Prague. They will be meeting for their third time this Thursday. So pray for them. Thank you. Let's thank the Lord for the faithfulness of Greg and Debbie, as well as for what he's been doing through them there. So let's give a, an applause to the Lord and to them. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you. And we thank you, Lord, as, as we sing these songs about longing for home, longing for being in your presence. Lord, maybe for some of us, this year has gone by quickly. But for those in Ukraine, it has been a very, very long year. Father, we pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters, that you be sustaining them, that they be able to feel the, um, that we are praying for them, lifting them up, we thank you, Lord, for partners like Greg and Debbie who are serving in the area, providing much-needed love and care and support. We thank you, Lord, as a church that we are a part of that. Father God, we pray that this war would end. And we pray, Lord, that these families and these homes would be reestablished. We pray, Lord, that you would use this for your glory, that more and more people would come to know the Lord through this. Father, we pray for us here as we um, celebrate baptisms today. We celebrate new life, those who have come to the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for those who have um, taken the step of obedience to demonstrate what has already occurred in their hearts, new birth, new life. We pray, Lord, that as you speak to us through your word today, that our hearts might be receptive. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have for us today. I pray, Lord, that you would help those who um, know you be encouraged to continue to uh, follow you, to run after you, Lord. And for those who do not know you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your word, your spirit would open up their hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you guys could please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is in Matthew uh, 16, verses 21 through 28. Uh, you can find this in page 90 of your Matthew journal. It says in verse 21, From that time on, Jesus 
began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste the death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, how is everyone doing? It's nice to be back after spending two weeks um, overseas, uh, seeing what the Lord is doing in another part of the world, spending some time in uh, Turkey and Albania and in Greece, and um, God willing, next week, I, I believe next week, we're going to be able uh, to share a little bit more of how, uh, what we saw the Lord doing in that part of the of the world. But I, I do want to share something funny, really, I was thinking about that, I don't even know why I was thinking about that right now, but... You know, when I'm over there, um, uh, my wife is here, and she's dealing with something that we have to fix at home. So she's got workers at home, right? And she's got all these questions. So she's talking to me, and then she, uh, they're asking questions to her about the house that she's asking me about how, what to do, right? And then she says to the workers, oh, this is my husband. He's overseas. And to that, the, the, one of the gentlemen responds, well, thank, tell him thanks for his service. And I, and I was like, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm serving the Lord over here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. And if you're new to the church, there's something that you should know about us. We as a church exist because we want to be people of love. We want to be known as people of love. We want to be known by the way we love. We want to love God. We want to love one another. We want to love our neighbors, and we want to love the world, the nations. But we also understand as a church that the only way we can possibly do that is when we truly believe and understand why is it <clears throat> that Jesus had to die. We understand that it's simply impossible for anybody to love God, love one another, love the neighbors and love the nations, unless we first believe and understand why is it that Jesus had to die. So in the text we just read, the word must appears a few times. And I'm actually going to use that word to uh, answer, to, to uh, make or answer three questions this morning. The first question I want to answer is, why must Jesus suffer and die? 
Why must uh, learn to deny ourselves? And why must we never forget our hope? All of these, the last two points flow from the first point. So I need you to do me a favor, just in case you missed it for the last two weeks. Look at the person next to you and say, you cannot miss this. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Let's go with point number one. Why must Jesus suffer and die? Now, if you, were like, uh, if you were here last week, you probably remember some of this. But if not, let me give you a little bit of context for the text. Last week, we found Jesus interacting with Peter and actually the rest of the disciples. And Peter makes this profound confession. He says that because God had allowed him to, oh, actually, Jesus says that because God had allowed Peter to see and understand this, he professed and told Jesus that he believed that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. That Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the promised uh, anointed Savior of the Old Testament. And then he says that not only he is the Messiah, but that he is the son of the living, active, powerful God. Now, after that confession, Jesus makes another confession profession, if you will, he says that he is the rock. He is the foundation of the church, the security of the church, and that the church is so secure that not even the gates of hell will be able to overcome it or destroy it. That's a beautiful statement about the church of Jesus Christ. So our foundation is not a weak foundation. Our security is not a weak security. Our foundation, our security is nothing less than Jesus Christ, the rock. Now, you would think that the disciples then are ready to be sent into the world to be agents of transformation, to be sent into the world as light and salt, to be uh, sent into the world with uh, demonstrating uh, the power of the gospel. But that's not what happens in the text. This is the last verse from the text we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 6 in verse 20. Then he orders his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, don't you find that weird? We just heard this beautiful, powerful profession of faith. Jesus had just said something amazing. But then he looks around and looks at the disciples and says, don't go out just yet. Don't tell anybody about me just yet. And you've got to ask the question, why? And I think that the text makes it super clear. I think that Jesus says that part of the reason why the disciples are not ready yet to go and tell everyone about Jesus is because they don't fully understand just yet who Jesus is. Actually, I'm going to make the argument that they knew who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. They also knew why is it that Jesus came. He came to save the lost. But what they did not know is how he was going to save this world. See, in their minds, I want you to pay attention here because I think that sometimes we make the same mistake in modern times. In their minds, Jesus, this Messiah, was supposed to be some sort of political figure, holy warrior that will come to overcome the Roman Empire, uh, empire by force. And that he would empower his people to take over everything. Somehow the disciples missed the point 
that the Old Testament talked about time and time again that this Messiah was not going to be a political figure, that he would come, in fact, to save his people, but he would save his people and transform the world in a completely different way, not by force, but in crucified form. Not just as a king, but as a king and a cross. And that's why in verse 21, Jesus says this, to correct their thinking. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer, and that many things, uh, suffer many things, and that he must be killed. Now, you, you have to understand, or at least try to understand, that to the disciples, to hear this, this was shocking. They had to unlearn what they had learned. They had to adjust their preconceptions and expectations. They had to fix whatever picture they had of the Messiah. So let's pretend for a second that you're one of the disciples and I am one of the disciples. So the question is, how is it that we react in front of this crazy confession? And I think that there's only four possible reactions. So let's pretend for a second that we are the disciples. Maybe one of the disciples that is a seeker, he would say, wait, 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 what? Is this true? Maybe just maybe what I believed all these years is wrong. So therefore, let me try to find if this is true. That's a good reaction, you know? At least you want to learn. You are willing to be confronted with your ideas. Maybe another reaction, another disciple will be more like I would call the new age disciple. This is the one that says, wait, what? Is this true? Well, it doesn't matter. Because all truth is truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let's make it all work. You know what the problem is with this disciple? That if anything and everything is true, nothing is true. And the problem with that attitude then is that we have no foundations or basis for morality or justice. See, I could, I could do something awful to you, and if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, even you don't like it, you cannot tell me that that is wrong. So maybe you're not the seeker and you're not the new age disciple. Maybe you are the spiritually stubborn disciple. By the way, I'm using the word disciple really loose there. This is the one that says, wait, what? Is this true? No, it can't be true. In fact, it is not true. You know what's the problem with this group? It's an honest group. But they are also honestly wrong. They really don't care about learning and exploring and being confronted and unlearning and relearning. But then we have one... Fourth, reaction, which is the reaction of the religious person, in my opinion. This is the one that says, wait, what? Is this true? This couldn't be true. Let me fix Jesus. Let me try to fix Jesus so he fits my preconceptions, my expectations, what I want him to be. That is the typical reaction of our religious person. 
It's a person that may has this, this picture of who God is and why, how Jesus, how God works and what he came to do. And instead of submitting to the reality that the Bible shows, no, 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 we try to adjust God to the God we want. And this is where Peter comes back into the picture. See, I don't think that Peter is a seeker. He already knows that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't think that Peter is a new age. He knows that there's only one Messiah. I don't think that he's spiritually stubborn. He wants to learn. I do think that Peter at this moment is struggling a little bit with his religious views of God. Because he wants to fix Jesus. Now I want you to stop there for a second because I do, I do believe that many of us in modern times struggle with God precisely because of the same thing. The God of the Bible does not match the God we want. See, Peter here is struggling so much because he cannot understand a Savior, a Messiah, a powerful King that will come to love with cruciform love, a King and a cross. So and so much Peter is struggling that look at what he says to Jesus in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Listen, you, if, if, um, if you really want to get what's happening in the text, you, you really have to pay attention to the word rebuke. Right? In our terms, in modern terms, in English terms, that's just like correcting a person. But the word is only used in the entire Gospels when you are uh, rebuking the devil out of someone. Isn't that crazy? Here we have religious Peter. Listen up, church. That he means well. That he loves the Lord. That he is learning. And then he says... May this never be. It seems like if the devil is in you, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You know how awkward that is? He's rebuking Jesus in the name. Boy, that didn't happen. I'm just making it up. But can you imagine how that awkward that is? The creature rebuking the creator. Now, I actually think that What's about to happen is it's a little bit offensive and funny at the same time. Because religious Peter honestly believed that he's helping Jesus. There is no Messiah on a cross. There is no Savior that is powerless. There is no suffering Messiah. There is no crucify, cruciform love. It's inconceivable, offensive, disgusting. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 23. Jesus returned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Offensive and funny. Explain why in a second. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, why you know why I think that's uh, offensive? Because Jesus tells Peter, you are behaving the way the devil does. 
Now, he, he's not saying that Peter is demon-possessed. If not, he will be rebuking the devil out of him. What he is saying is that he is behaving the way the devil does. Satan is influencing Peter so he could influence Jesus. Satan, through Peter, is tempting Jesus so he won't go to the cross. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, you are seeing everything from, as a, uh, from, a, uh, from a human perspective, not God's perspective. Can you imagine what Peter did after that? The text doesn't show us his reaction. I can imagine it. Actually, the only way I can imagine it is because I see how is it that I will respond. And I think that this is actually funny because Jesus says, that he is telling Jesus that he's behaving like Satan. Jesus turns around and says, no, you're behaving like Satan. If it was me, I was like, no, I'm not. I was just trying to help. So you got to ask a question. Why is it that the devil is so interested in influencing Peter so he tempts Jesus? Why is it that Jesus had to go to the cross? Why is it that the devil did not want Jesus to go to the cross? You know what's interesting about this? Satan didn't have any problems with Jesus, God becoming a human being. Satan didn't have any problems with Jesus performing miracles. Satan doesn't have any problems him forgiving sins and helping people and showing love in all kinds of different ways. Satan struggles if that Jesus goes to the cross. Do you know why is it that Jesus had to go to the cross? Our faith holds that truth as the ultimate truth. If that is not there, there's no Christianity, there's no salvation, there's nothing. So I want to give you three reasons why is it that Satan was so interested in keeping Jesus from the cross. Reason number one, without the cross... There is no forgiveness. Up until this point, the disciples have a, they have a hard time understanding that the greatest enemy was not Rome, that the greatest enemy was not something outside of them, that the greatest enemy was within, that it was their sin, because they had sinned against a holy God. And they also had a hard time understanding and believing that in order for them to be forgiven, someone had to suffer the lost. That there is no forgiveness unless someone loses something. That forgiveness requires that someone lose something. Now, let me explain it this way to make it even more simple. Illustration. Let's say that I invite you and your kids to my home. And let's say that when you get to my home, you see that I have a piece of art that is a half a million dollars. And you automatically think to yourself, how much money does Hannibal make? 
And let's say that one of your kids, just being kids, they're fooling around with our dogs, Hercules and Zeus, the Greek dogs of a Christian pastor. <laughs> and because they're playing with this, they break my piece of art. And like any parent would feel, you look at us and Heidi and I, and you say, I am so sorry. And you look at little Hannibal and says, I told you not to touch anything, Hannibal. This flashback, that's why I'm using that name. <laughs> and Heidi and I, like good hosts, we say, don't, don't worry. I mean, your kids don't have any self-control. What are you going to do? Your parenting skills are terrible. <laughs> no, we will not say that. We will think about it, but we will not say it. This is what we would say. Don't worry about it. Things like this happen. And then little Hannibal comes to us and says, I'm sorry. No, actually, he goes, I'm sorry. He just came from Latin America. You know, he's <laughs> working on the accent thing. Because forgiveness requires repentance, right? This is the problem, though. That you and your kid get to go free. You are forgiven. But Heidi and I, we lost. Someone had to absorb the cost. It's impossible for God to just look at anybody and say, you are forgiven. It's impossible for just God to look at anybody just because we repent and say, you are forgiven. No, someone had to absorb the cost. And this is what makes the gospel so beautiful and so powerful that instead of God asking us to pay what we broke, he himself in Jesus Christ absorbs the cost. He pays the price. He loses in order for us to be forgiven. There is nothing more beautiful and amazing than that. That the God of the universe, the huge, loving, perfect, eternal God, takes upon himself the consequences of my sin. He pays the price. He absorbs the cost. And then he says to me, that's all right, Hannibal. Go home. You are forgiven. Can you see why Jesus had to go to the cross? Can you see why the cross was not an option? See, without the cross, there is no forgiveness. And without the cross, there is no true love. See, up until this point, the disciples already know that Jesus is a loving Jesus. He's a loving Messiah. What they had a hard time understanding is that even though love is about giving good things and saying good things and, and doing amazing things, love at the end of the day is always sacrificial. Love demands sacrifice. Love is always sacrificial. There's a difference between real love and fake love. You know what the difference is? Fake love is when you do something for someone 
But not to make that person happy, but to make yourself happy. It's when you do things for somebody, not for their own sake, but for your sake. That's why that's a fake love. But real, genuine, true, uh, true love always does things and don't do things for the sake of the other person. For the well-being of the other person. True and real and genuine love always is willing to spend yourself and to give yourself up for the sake of the person you love. Not to get anything in exchange. Do you know why Jesus had to go to the cross? To show us what real, real love looked like. Let me ask you a question. What can you give back to God? What is it that we have that he needs? Is there anything that we could give back to God? See, the cross was necessary. Because there we see the perfect picture of what love looks like. Someone that is willing to die to himself for the sake of others. There we see an example of what it means to be love. Now, the cross is important because without it, there's no forgiveness. The cross is important because if not, we don't know really what so, uh, sacrificial, cruciform love look, looks like. And number three, the cross is important because without it, there is no transformation. One of the things that the Bible says, the part of the reason why Jesus goes to the cross is so he could destroy the power of sin in us and at the same time the, to destroy the power of the devil in us. This is part of the reason why Romans chapter 6 says that we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer our master. Even though we're still sinners, we are already saints. We have been delivered in Jesus Christ if we have placed our faith in him. And Colossians chapter 1 says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You're not a slave to your sin if you're a believer. You're still a sinner. But sin is not your master. Can you see why Jesus had to go to the cross? Without the cross, there's no forgiveness. Without the cross, there's no real love. And without forgiveness, uh, without the cross, there's no transformation. Now, I want you to think about that in a, in a practical way. If you have been forgiven... Then at a vertical level, in a relationship with God, you have to remember that because he forgave you, you are no longer bound to your shame or condemnation. Like really, you are forgiven. At a personal level, because we have been forgiven, it changes the way you see yourself, you know. Your sin does not define you. And at a horizontal level, if you have been forgiven... You have the power to extend forgiveness to other people. You know why? Because we give to others what we already have. It is possible for us to learn to absorb the cost of forgiveness. If you have been loved at a vertical level in a relationship with God, 
You don't need to earn God's love. You don't need to work for God's love. You already have it in Jesus Christ. At a personal level, if you have been loved, you don't need anybody else's love. It's good to have it, but you don't need it. You are already loved. At a horizontal level, if you have been already loved by God in Jesus Christ, you do have the power to learn to extend that love to others. It is possible to love sacrificially. It is because you have been forgiven and you have been loved and you have been transformed that Jesus had to go to the cross. How about if I tell you that we have more than that? Actually, how about if I tell you that if you have that, there is an effect in the way you live your life that that's supposed to change the way you live your life, which takes me to point number two. Why must we learn to deny ourselves? One of the beautiful things about the gospel, when you truly understand what Jesus came to do, is that it teaches you to die to yourself, to surrender to the will of God. And this is why Jesus, and pay attention here, church, the order really matters here. Talks about the cross first, and then he says in verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up uh, their cross and follow me. He says, part of the reason why I must go to Jerusalem, why I must suffer and I must die, is so you have the power to be able to surrender your will to my will. This is why, church, if you have, your, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, obedience is not an option. It's one of the evidences of your conversion. Elizabeth Elliot, 1976, he spoke before thousands of students at, uh, at the Urbana uh, Conference, and she did, uh, her talk was called The Glory of God's Will. And this is what she says. Until you learn to offer up your will, you do not know Jesus as Lord, and I would say even as a Savior. The will of God is not something you add to your life. It is the course you choose. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings. We forget that when we became Christians, we had been told to give up all, right, to give up all rights to ourselves to present our bodies as living sacrifice. And then she says something super interesting. See, she said that we struggle with obedience not because of the things we don't understand, but we struggle with obedience because of the things we do understand. I think that sometimes we struggle with obedience because the God we have is not the same as the God we want. We struggle not with the things that we don't understand. We struggle with the things we do understand. And then she makes a case that many of us are sometimes obsessed with trying to find what the will of God is. 
What is it that God wants for us in the future? And she, she says that we tend to over-spiritualize uh, things in order for us to find out what is, it that, what, what is the will of God in our lives. And she says, stop doing that. Obey God's will in the things that you already know. So, for example, if you're a student, God's will is for you to study. You don't need to pray over that. If you are married, God's will is for you to honor your husband and for the husband to love the wife. You don't need to pray over that. If you are a parent, God's will is for you to raise your kids well. You don't need to pray over that. If you are a worker, God's will is for you, for you to work well. You don't need to pray over that. And then she says this. Use your head. Recognize that God is sovereign in the world and sovereign over your life. Don't over-spiritualize things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Now, the world hears this and says, well, that's foolishness. True happiness can only be found is when I've, I pursue myself, when I'm true to myself, when I follow my heart, my dreams, and my desires. And if that's your case, I just want to ask one question. How is that working for you? Are you really happy? Are you really at peace? Do you really have joy? Jesus, on the other hand, promised something amazing here in verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, it's interesting because the word life there is where we get the word psyche, which just could be another word to, to, to talk about the inner being. And what Jesus says is just in one sentence, that to follow his will, that to follow his will, to surrender our will to his will, brings joy, peace, satisfaction in the inner being, even if things outside of you are completely wrong. You know, in these uh, two weeks that I spent uh, with our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, uh, uh, we, 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 we saw so many people. I think that I had conversations with about two to 300 people. And, and uh, we spend a lot of time with the 15 uh, missionary units we support from the church. Um, but, but there was a common thread among all these conversations. And it's and, and these two things, actually. Actually, three. Uh, I'll explain. Now, let me give you two because then not, I don't have anything to share next week. So, <laughs> number one is they are all in places where Christianity is tiny. 1%, 2%, 3%. Christians in, in, in nations. And number two, not once we heard someone complaining. Not once. Not once anybody says, we don't get the church we want. Not once anybody says, man, we suffer so much. Not once people say, this is so difficult. We know that it was difficult because of everything they're sharing. If there was one thing that it was a common thread, is that every single one of them were people of joy. You gotta ask the question, why? Because when you lose your life, 
you'll find it. Because when you lose your life, you find it. One more thing that we've got to keep in mind, which answers question number three. Why must we never forget our hope? This is what is interesting about this. Right at the end, right at the beginning of the text in verse 21, Jesus says something right at the end of, of verse 21. He says, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and he must be killed and killed, and on the third day be raised again. Talk about his resurrection. And in verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So at the beginning, he talks about the resurrection, and at the end, he talks about the second coming of Jesus, when he's going to make everything new, beautiful, and perfect again. And you would say, what is that? how does that help us? But this is the thing. We need the cross, and what the cross won. See, the resurrection is important because it tells you that your forgiveness is secure, that your love, that the love of God for you is secure, and that you have been transformed. How do I know that that's secure? Because Jesus resurrected. Jesus says that he will do all these things, and because he resurrected, that is true. If he says that it was true at the beginning, and he said that he was going to die and resurrect, and he did. That is the ultimate truth. In addition to that, the resurrection tells you that the Father accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. Question. Why will you not submit your will to his will if he did that for you? What about the second coming? It tells you that when Jesus returns, everything is going to be perfect. He is going to make all things new. The entire creation will be completely, completely be made new. Question. Why wouldn't you submit your will to God? Why would you settle for what we have here? This is not our home just yet. Why settle for anything less than the will of God for your life? Can you see why the cross was so important? Can you see why the cross comes before us learning how to submit our will? Can you see why hope is so important? How about if we live in light of what we already have? How about if we discover the joy of our salvation? How about if we learn that there's nothing here that can satisfy the way the gospel does. Amen? Amen? Lord, we are grateful for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your presence, and your power. We are grateful, Lord, that we don't have to submit to our sin because we have been delivered and declared righteous and pure, and we have been sanctified and adopted. We are grateful, Lord, because we get to understand and believe that our forgiveness was costly to you, that your love is sacrificial, and that we are no longer bound to sin. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for those of us that are here that are still seeking. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that we may continue to seek until we find rest and rest in you. And I pray for the rest of us as Christians 
Because we still struggle trying to adjust you to whatever we want you to be. Please help us to adjust our will, our mind, and our hearts so it matches your mind, your will, and your heart. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. We respond with the song that we learned before the message and keep in mind that we are, if we are in Christ, we are almost home. Let's stand together.
know, we already started our Lent season, and I believe that during Lent is a great opportunity for us to actually remind ourselves that we are almost home, that we continue to preach to ourselves that this is not our home just yet, that our ultimate home will be when Jesus returns and we get to see him in all his splendor and beauty, and that nothing will satisfy unless we get there. Now, to do that, I want to invite you to pray with us during all this Lent season. Whenever you get the chance, I want you to go to winbible.org slash Eastern, and you're going to see a schedule of prayers that we have done. So I'm inviting you for you to take all the schedule to pray with your family, or at least to pray with a friend. So what we're going to be doing is, for the first six weeks, we're going to be praying with Paul. We're grabbing two prayers per week that Paul did. And we pray those as a family or as a community for the first six weeks. The last week before Easter, we're going to pray wherever you are, every day, walking through Jesus' lives, life before he goes to the cross. All you're going to be seeing in the program. But then we also want, as a congregation, on April 5th, I believe it is, for us to come and pray together. Because we do want to see a revival in our midst. We do want people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We do want to be transformed. We want to see miracles. We want to see the Lord glorifying himself in our midst. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nation. And the church says... Thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent. Somewhere.